0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome,
1: welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July the 7th, the first Friday of July. Um, Again, this show is going to be a pre-recorded show. We're not recording it on July 7th, but beforehand. But we want to begin with prayer. It's noon on Friday, and we begin with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ, our Lord, amen. And we ask the Holy Spirit for light. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created. And thou shalt renew the face of the earth, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. And we ask the angels to join us here and give us light. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus, Sabaot. Pleni et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in Excelsis. Benedictus qui veni nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, in the Catholic Church, we just celebrated the month of, everyone's just celebrated the month of June, but in the Catholic Church, the month of June is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So, um, as Father pointed out Sunday in his sermon, the Sacred Heart of Jesus represents most exquisitely the humility of our God. So we don't celebrate pride because pride in any form is one of the seven capital sins. Um, pride is is not a, a good thing. That doesn't mean we go around beating ourselves up or putting ourselves down because that's a that's a reverse form of pride. It's um, false humility is what it's called because it's still the, the focus is on me. As long as the focus is on me, it's that's about pride. OK, when the focus turns to be on God and on our Lord and to give him praise and glory, then then we get, begin to be humble. Well, it's interesting. So after right on the, you know, the sacred heart of Jesus, and then we have the month of July. And the 1st of July was declared by Pope Pius IX to be, for the Universal Church, the feast of the most precious blood of Jesus. So this month, the entire month of July, is dedicated to the most precious blood of Jesus. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb. So that's what we want to talk about today is being saved by the blood of the Lamb. And before I jump right into that, I want to talk about a feast day that we celebrated this week, because this week, July the 3rd, we celebrated the feast of St. Thomas the Apostle. Now, what do we all remember about Thomas? Thomas wasn't there on Easter Sunday night to see the Lord Jesus, his resurrected, resurrected Jesus. He didn't in his resurrected body when Jesus came to the apostles. He was somewhere else. And um, St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas say, well, that was due to divine providence. And why was that? Because Thomas was going to show us an example. The Lord would use Thomas to give us a great example of faith. So Thomas isn't there. And when he comes and the other apostles tell him, and I'll read this passage to you, the passage for the Feast of St. Thomas is a reading from the Gospel according to John, John 20, 24 through 29. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, the disciples were once again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked. And stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All praise and glory and honor to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Thomas is not there so that he can actually make this profession of faith. Jesus is our Lord and our God. He is truly Lord. He is truly God. He is the God-man. So the human soul of Jesus came into existence at the moment of his incarnation. When the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she's to be the mother of God, that's when the human soul of Jesus comes That's when his humanity comes into existence. That's when it's created. Okay. So Jesus is man from the first moment of his conception, but he's also God from the first moment of his conception because when he's conceived, it is the Son of God who unites this humanity to himself. So from the very first moment of his existence, Jesus of Nazareth is not only man, he is also God. Now, was the Son of God always man? No, the Son of God wasn't always man. The human soul of Jesus did not pre-exist the moment of his conception in his mother's womb. So the Son of God became man But he becomes man at that moment of the incarnation, at the Annunciation, okay? And Jesus is truly God, truly man. So Thomas makes this beautiful profession of faith, my Lord and my God. He sees now, he sees the Lord, the risen Lord, and yes, he acknowledges him as Lord. And we too should acknowledge Jesus as Lord. We should bow down before him and cry, my Lord and my God. As John the Evangelist in the book of Revelation, when he sees the Lord Jesus, he falls down as though dead. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am living. I died, but now I live forevermore. So we thank God for the gift of St. Thomas, the apostle, who, although he wasn't there on Easter Sunday night, a week later makes this tremendous profession of faith for us and tells, Jesus tells Thomas, and tells us through Thomas that even though Thomas is blessed for having believed because he saw, how much more blessed we who have not seen the risen Lord are because we believe. But that is a grace. Faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. If you want to believe, ask the Lord, my God, I want to believe in you. Increase my faith. That God exists is not an article of faith. It's a self-evident truth. That God exists Even the pagans knew that God existed, okay? We know that there has to be a God because nothing comes to be without someone bringing it into being. And order does not come out of chaos unless there's an intelligent being behind it to give order to the chaos. And so we know just from the light of our natural reason without the gift of faith that there is a God. But can we know that God is a trinity of persons without faith? Can we know that the second person, the blessed trinity, really became man? That he died on the cross, really experienced death, but that he was buried, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, and now sits at the Father's right hand. Those are all articles of faith, okay? But that God exists is not. So Thomas gives us this beautiful profession of faith. And yes, Jesus Christ is Lord and God. He is our Lord he is our God and we worship him as God so his precious blood well what about his precious blood what does it mean what is the meaning of his blood well in 1 Corinthians 10 16 we read the cup of blessing which we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ and then it goes on and the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ and so we have this reality of the blood of Christ being shed. And why was it shed? Well, in, one, in, in Ephesians, in Paul's letter to Ephesians, Ephesians 2.13, Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. So Christ's blood redeems us and brings us back. And if we go back to the Old Testament You know, the Old Testament, remember, the fathers of the church teach us that the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is actually revealed in the New Testament. So you can't have the old without the new, and and the new was already concealed there in the old, because it's all about Christ. It's about the second person of the Blessed Trinity becoming man. And why would he become man? Well, he became man to shed his blood for us, to recapitulate all things in himself, to bring us back to the Father, to reunite us to God. We were estranged from God by what? Sin. Remember that? Was it G.K. Chesterton once said, you know, the only empirically provable Roman Catholic dogma is original sin. So don't go away. I hear that music. We're going to take a break here. But please share this with all your family and friends and have them join us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Share the app Virgin Most Powerful Radio with everyone you know. I invite people to listen, to support us. Right back with more.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888 526 2151 Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, July the 7th, the first Friday of July, and we always honor the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the first Fridays and make reparation to his Sacred Heart for um, the outrageous sacrilege and indifference by which he is offended, especially in the, his real presence in the Most Holy Eucharist and the Blessed Sacrament. Um, we're talking here today about the precious blood of Jesus. The month of July is dedicated to the precious blood of Jesus. Um, uh, you won't be able to call in on this show because this is a pre-recorded show. So we're pre-recording. Um I won't be available on Friday. So um to do the show so I'm live so we're going to pre-record here. So we want to look at some things that are told to us in the catechism of the Catholic Church about the blood of Christ and and I want to we could correlate that. I I again encourage you all to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church and look at the footnotes and look at how much biblical reference there is there. how it's just, it's just beautiful. It's really beautiful. So in number 610, we have Jesus gave the supreme expression of his free offering of himself at the meal he shared with his apostles on the night of his betrayal, the Last Supper. Um, you can see Matthew 2620 and 1 Corinthians 1123. On the eve of his passion, while still free, Jesus transformed this last supper with the apostles into the memorial of his voluntary offering to the Father for the salvation of men. And remember, that memorial is not something that I just remember that happened in the past. It's a living memorial, just as the Passover was a living memorial for the Jews, that somehow mystically, by the grace of God, makes present that past moment in the present moment. This is my body, which is given for you, Jesus said. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that's from Luke 22, 19, Matthew 26, 28. And also look at 1 Corinthians 5, 7. So Jesus said that he gives, he takes the bread and the wine and he says these words over them. Now the church teaches us and this is since the beginning, that once those words are said over the bread and the wine, there's no more bread and wine existing. That this is really and truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The church believes, and has always believed since the beginning, since the time of the Last Supper, that at that Last Supper, Jesus made his apostles his first bishops, who are priests, priests who will carry on his one eternal sacrifice, who will share in his one high priesthood and who will offer continually this offering that he makes of himself to the Father so that the victim who immolated himself, although no longer dying, lives for all eternity his act of immolated love. And the lamb who was slain, even though he is not no longer dying in heaven, he, he bears his scars And he offers himself perpetually to the Father for us. And then in number 1365 in the Catechism, we read, Because it is the memorial of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist is also a sacrifice. The sacrificial character of the Eucharist is manifest in the very words of institution. This is my body, which is given for you. This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 and 20. In the Eucharist, Christ gives us the very body which he gave up on the cross, the very blood which he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And again, that's Matthew 26, 28. So he pours out his blood on the cross. He offers up his body. As a, as a sacrifice to his Father on behalf of all of us sinners. So when we go to Mass, we need to be very, very attentive to offer ourselves in union with Christ and to offer Christ to the Father. This is our continual offering, and we unite ourselves to that. We unite our whole lives to that. It's not about me. It's about what Christ has done. And by uniting ourselves to Christ, we become transformed into a living image of him, Paul would write, I live now no longer I, but Christ lives in me. This is what we strive for as Christians, and it's not something we can do on our own. We beg God to complete this work in us. As the prayers for the Feast of St. Thomas, it's so beautiful. Um, we, you know, we ask the Lord that, that he will complete the work he has begun in us, and that he will not let what he has begun in us be lost on us. I'm trying to follow i think the prayer was at the um the prayer over the offering we render you O lord the service that is your due humbly imploring you to keep safe your gifts in us as we honor the confession of the apostle saint thomas and i brought up thomas because on july 2nd july 3rd excuse me on monday july 3rd we celebrate saint thomas the apostle who gave his life for christ at first, yes, he wasn't going to believe the resurrection unless he could see Jesus, the risen Lord. But when he does see him, he proclaims him, my Lord and my God. And the church prays here. We render you, O Lord, the service that is your due, humbly imploring you to keep safe your gifts in us as we honor the confession of the Apostle St. Thomas and, the, and offer you a sacrifice of praise. And the sacrifice of praise is offered through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice of praise. And he offers himself as a sacrifice of praise on behalf of all sinners, on behalf of the whole church. So the church teaches us that we are really cleansed by the blood of Christ. It is his blood that makes us pure. It is his blood that cleanses us from sin. You know, there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, it says in the book of Hebrews. So... We know that Christ's blood was shed. So and in Hebrews 9, 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So it's not about works. But we, the works, as St. James will tell us, are an expression of our faith. But not dead works. Works of charity works that are done, works of service to our neighbor because Christ came to give his life as a ransom for many and to serve. I I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And so we serve out of love for Christ, but that his blood, we know that it is his blood that frees us from our sin. It frees us from sin. But with the precious blood of... You were not bought with any diminishable of gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, Peter writes in his first letter, in one in the first chapter, verse 19, you were not... You have been bought and paid for at a price. And what is that price? It's not any diminishable sum of silver and gold. It's the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His blood frees us. His blood gives us life. His blood frees us from sin. And we can live a life free of sin with the help of God's grace. Do we ask him? Do we ask him for that grace? Do we beg the Lord to keep us faithful at every moment of every day? Do we ask him to complete the work he has begun in us? To glorify his name in us that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Are we living as if we have a finality in this world or are we living with our hearts fixed there where true joys are with God in heaven where we're called to live for all eternity? For all eternity, we're called to live in union with God, but we're called to begin that union with God right here on earth. And say Paul talks about that in his letters where he says, I live now, not I, but Christ lives in me. Jesus Christ lives in us through faith and by baptism, and the sacraments. He gives us his own life. He gives us a share. We are, sh- we, sh- we are partakers of the divine nature. We become partakers of the divine nature through baptism and through the sacraments that Jesus himself established in his church. So we want to make sure that we're walking in the Lord, that we're walking according to his ways, and that we're not um, falling back into our old ways of sin, and that we're not making excuses and saying, "Well, you know, yeah, the gospel's kind of hard to live, and Jesus didn't really intend for it." And um, what was it? Cardinal Ratzinger once was talking to a um, a theologian, whom he he said, "I would describe him as a devout Catholic." And he said, "Isn't it wonderful that God has imprisoned so many in an in an erroneous conscience, so that he might save some of them?" And and Cardinal Ratzinger's response to that was, uh, well, he he was writing an article in L'Osservatore Romano in the 1990s, and, and he said, well, it, it's it's bad enough that you would attribute an erroneous conscience to God. I mean, that's that's bad enough in and of itself. But what he's saying, in essence, is the gospel is an unbearable burden which we either, neither we nor our fathers could bear. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, 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 there's a passage like that, in the, but it's talking about the old law. When Peter says, you know, yeah, there, there were all these provisional things in the Old Covenant that were provisional, like circumcision and the dietary laws and the, the animal sacrifice laws and having to go to Jerusalem to make the sacrifice. So, you know, those were provisional. And they, those are the dead works, that Paul refers to. Our conscience have been freed from those dead works, but we're not freed from offering the one eternal sacrifice, the sacrifice that takes place of all other sacrifice, the sacrifices of sacrifices, which the whole Old Testament pointed to. It pointed to Christ and his own sacrifice that he would make of himself, that he would offer himself. Read Isaiah 53. Who could believe what we have seen? Or to whom has the hand of the Lord been revealed? Like a sapling, he grew up before him. Like a shoot in the parched land. And we found in him no stately bearing, nothing to make us look at him. We thought of him as one despised. Rejected by God, smitten by the people, a man of suffering, accustomed to infirmity. And it goes on. But it was our weaknesses that he endured, our sufferings that he bore. It was for our sins that he was crushed and God pleased to, was pleased to crush him in infirmity for us, for us. We have to read carefully the scripture. Every word of the scripture is God's holy word to us. God is speaking to us through his holy scripture. He's teaching us. He's teaching about his love. He's teaching about his desire for union with us, his desire to have us live in communion with himself. And so we have the blood of Christ. It, it's, you know, the, the, the blood of martyrs, it's said by the fathers of the church, is the seed of Christians. Because first of all, it's Christ's blood that is the seed of Christians. And then when the martyrs shed their blood, they shed it in union with Christ. And all of their blood is mingled with Christ's blood. And the blood is what takes away sin. But it's Christ's blood that takes away sin. If our, if our sacrifice is not united to Christ, it has no meaning. And that's why when we suffer, we want to unite our sufferings to Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, our suffering takes on eternal value. There's great value in suffering. Christ wants us to participate in his salvific work. God loves us so much. I hear that music. Don't go away. We'll be back with more. Please tell your family and friends to join us on Bible with the Barber's and learn more about the precious blood of Jesus Christ and what it means. This is Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and I'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this first Friday of July, July 7th. And we are looking at the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In the month of July, we celebrate the precious blood. And where do we get this idea that, you know, without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Well, we get it from scriptures. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And we have this foreshadowing in the Old Testament, don't we? And what happens in the Old Testament? The Hebrews have been in Egypt for maybe about 400 years, and they're slaves now in Egypt. And so... God sends Moses to deliver them and he tells Moses that they are to um, have a Passover where they will, every family will take a lamb from the flock. It has to be a two-year-old male without blemish and no broken bones. They are to slaughter it in the evening twilight and they are to roast its flesh whole, eat it that night and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lintel of their homes. Because the angel of the Lord will pass through Egypt that night, executing judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And by by that, God went through Egypt and killed all the firstborn. And he said, the angel will see the blood of the lamb on your doorposts and your lintel, and he will pass over you and your home will be safe. And that's when the Egyptians begged the Israelites to leave. The first, their firstborn are dying. And so the blood of the lamb is what saved them. And we have in the New Testament this continual reference to Jesus as the blood of the lamb. Jesus is the lamb, excuse me, not the blood of the lamb, the lamb, the lamb of God. John John the um, evangelist, excuse me. John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, look, there is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? So there's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus is that lamb. He's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And so um, we have that foreshadowing in the Old Testament where the lamb was slain, and by slaying a lamb and putting its blood on their doorposts and eating its flesh, they would be delivered from death. And then in the New Testament, Jesus changes bread and wine into his own body and blood because Jesus is God, and when God speaks the word, it happens. And so when he says, this is my body over the bread, and this is my blood over the chalice, The bread and the wine in the chalice surrender their substance in obedience to God. They're God's creatures, and now they surrender their substance. And although the accidents remain, although it still appears to be bread and wine, it is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only high priest who acts in and through every priest who celebrates Holy Mass And he really changes the bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of himself. It becomes our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not present in the bread and the wine. There are no more bread and wine there after the consecration. He's present under the appearance of bread and wine. It's really our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, risen and glorified and ascended. And he feeds us on his body and blood. And this happens through the church. Christ established a church. And we we read in paragraph 766, the church is born primarily of Christ's total self-giving for our salvation, anticipated in the institution of the Eucharist and fulfilled on the cross. The origin and growth of the church are symbolized by the blood and the water that flowed from the open side of the crucified Jesus. Remember on the cross in John nineteen thirty four, the soldier pierces his side and blood and water flow out. For it was from the side of Christ, as he slept in death on the cross, that there came forth the wondrous sacrament of the whole church. So the sacrament of the church comes forth. As Eve was formed from the sleeping Adam's side, so the church was born from the purest heart of Christ, hanging dead on the cross. And that's from one of the fathers of the church, St. Ambrose. And if you go back and read the fathers of the church, you um, find that the church, Catholic church has never done away with those teachings. This is part of the sacred deposit of faith that the church guards very carefully. The early fathers who explained to us what was passed on to them by the apostles so that we could live more fully the truths that Jesus Christ has revealed through his church. And he did establish his church. And in number 1225 of the Catechism, in his Passover, Christ opened to all men the fountain of baptism. He had already spoken of his passion, which he was about to suffer in Jerusalem, as a baptism. Remember he says that, I have a baptism with which to be baptized? and how I am constrained until it is accomplished, with which he had to be baptized. Compare Mark 10, 38, and then Luke 12, 50. The blood and water that flowed from the purest side of the crucified Jesus are types of baptism and the Eucharist, the sacraments of new life. Look at John 19, 34, and 1 John 5, 6-8. through 8. From then on, it is possible to be born of water and the spirit from John 3, 5. Remember, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born of water and spirit. See where you are baptized. See where baptism comes from. It is, if not from the cross of Christ, from his death. There is the whole mystery. He died for you. In him you are redeemed, in him you are saved. And again, that's from St. Ambrose. See where you are baptized. See where baptism comes from. If not from the cross of Christ, from his death. There is the whole mystery. He died for you. In him you are redeemed. In him you are saved. Yes, there is only one name given under heaven by which we are saved. The name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ but we participate in his salvific work. He offers us an opportunity to participate so that we too can become means of sanctification and salvation to those around us because Christ desires for us to share in his work, to share in his glory. He wants us to know how much is his love for us. He wants us to know how much he desires our union with him. And that's why we want to unite all of our sufferings, all of our sufferings to Christ. And so we have the Lamb of God who was slain. And if we read Revelation 5, we have the Lamb standing. Remember, John is there in heaven. And John, they have this scroll, and nobody is found in heaven or on earth who can open the scroll. And John begins to weep because it's desirable. He has this great desire in himself to know what's on the scroll. And, and the angel says, do not scroll. Do not, do not scroll. Do not weep. Do not weep. Um, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. And, and then he says, he turns And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it were slain with seven horns and seven eyes. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp in his hand, bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made of them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And that's all from Revelation 5. So the lamb is there in heaven, still bearing his scars, still offering himself to the father as a perpetual offering. The victim who immolated himself is no longer dying. No, he's not. He's not dying anymore. But he lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. And in that act of immolated love, he shed his blood for us. And by shedding his blood for us, he frees us from the power of sin and death so that we can live in the freedom of the children of God, that we can truly live, so truly live in union with God's holy will, which means to live a life free of sin. Now, granted, as I said earlier in the show, uh, G.K. Chesterton once quipped, uh, original sin is the only empirically provable Roman Catholic dogma. We know by looking all around us that the effects of original sin, although original sin is washed away in baptism, we believe, because the church teaches it and, and because Jesus revealed that to, to his church to reveal it to us, we believe that our sins are washed away and original sin is washed away, but the effects are still there. We still have a darkened intellect and a weakened will, so it's easy for us to sin. But Jesus gave the remedy, and the remedy is the sacraments of the church. The sacrament of confession is for those who have who sin after baptism. Now, we have to confess our mortal sins in the sacrament of baptism, but that's not the only thing we should confess. We can confess our venial sins. Every worthy offering, every worthy reception of the sacrament strengthens our will against sin and strengthens our and gives light to our intellect to see things as God sees them. So we want to beg for the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, so that our minds and our hearts can be enlightened, and we can truly be faithful to the Lord and walk in his ways, and not set our hearts on the things of this world. We're not here to live on this earth forever. We have a, we have a finality in heaven. We're called. We're called to live in union with Christ, right? And remember, Christ is the high priest of the good things to come. He entered once for all into the holy place, taking not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And that's in Hebrews 9, starting at verse 11. And I hear the music. So we're coming up against another break. So don't go away. We'll be back with more. And again, we give thanks to everybody who supports us and to all the radio stations that broadcast us and the Social media platforms. Please invite all your friends and family to join us and share the app with everyone.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers again. I want to thank all of our benefactors, all of those who. Uh, Support us financially, and those who support us with their prayers and their sacrifices, their sufferings, for all who volunteer to help us. Our staff here, and all of our radio hosts and our um, technical support teams, and um, also the the social media platforms that carry us, and um, the radio stations that pick up our signal. And we do have our own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, and we have um, our own apps, which you which you can get on your smartphone. And it's free. You don't have to pay for it. Just go to your app store and t- type in Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and you should, should get that app. It has a picture of the Blessed Mother on it. You'll know it. And we welcome everyone to listen. This is not just for Catholics, but particularly for Catholics too. We need to build up our faith. We need to know the Lord so that we can be built up in faith every day. We need to... Um, say the good things that men need to hear, things that will truly build them up in the Lord. So we need to know the Lord so we can do that. So before the break, we were reading from Hebrews 9 about the blood of Christ. So Paul goes on to write um, that, you know, Jesus entered once for all into the holy place, uh, taking his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling, sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your consciences from dead works to serve the living God? And we've talked about that. The dead works that Paul's referring to here. Um, So it's, it's once for all. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised inter- eternal inheritance. We're looking for an eternal inheritance. We're looking for a heavenly home. Since a death has occurred, which redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. For where a, a will is involved, the death of the one may, who made it must be established. You know, when, when someone writes a will, um you you have to before the will can be executed there has to be established that the person died. And so and he goes on, Paul goes on that the first covenant was ratified with blood. it was ratified with blood. remember the shedding of blood, it was there. And then um, Moses declares the commandments of the people and he took the blood of the calves and the goats with the water and the scarlet wool, and the hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant, which God commanded. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into a sanctuary made with hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place yearly with the blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world but as it is he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and just as it comes just as it is appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment so christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. So the blood of Christ was shed once for all. Well, then why do Catholics have this mass where they say that this is the sacrifice of Calvary? And again, we don't believe that Jesus is dying again. We believe that that one eternal sacrifice that Christ offered because he is God And as we read in the book of Revelation, the lamb is still standing in heaven before the father, and he still bears his scars. The victim who immolated himself lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love, not by continually dying, but in his risen, ascended, glorified state, he still offers the living memorial of what he did once for all on the cross. And it is only through his blood that sin is forgiven. Only God has the power to forgive sins. Yes, we believe that. And we believe that through the church, Jesus Christ acts in and through his priests. In the mass, when the priest says the words of institution at the Holy Eucharist, at the mass, to institute the blessed sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread and wine, he doesn't say this is the body of Jesus, this is the blood of Jesus. He says, this is my body. And we believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, It is Jesus Christ, the eternal high priest who acts in and through every priest that is duly ordained and has received the sacrament of holy orders to confect the Holy Eucharist and to make present to us that one eternal sacrifice so that at the mass time and space don't exist, but that we are united to that moment when Christ died on the cross and we are true witnesses of his death, but we're also united to heaven where the lamb is in heaven offering himself continually to the father. Christ died once for all. And yet that sacrifice goes on for eternity in the sense that Christ continually makes of himself a perpetual offering in heaven. Not that he's dying on the cross, but that he still bears his scars. And in the In the sacrament of confession, when the priest says the words of absolution, he doesn't say, Jesus absolves you. He says, I absolve you. How can he say that? Because we believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit— By the power of the high priest, Jesus Christ, it is Jesus Christ himself who acts in and through his priesthood, the priesthood that he established at the Last Supper when he established the Eucharist to perpetuate the Eucharist so that his sacrifice would be present to every single generation that would come so that no one would be without access to the sacrifice of Christ and without access to do what he commanded us in John 6 Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is only through Jesus Christ, through his body, blood, soul, and divinity, through his blood shed for us. And in the Eucharist, and again, we don't come to the Eucharist unworthily. We're warned about that in Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, where he talks about those who eat the blood of the Lord without discernment and eating condemnation unto themselves. We have to discern the body of the Lord. We have to be recognizing that Christ is whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the of the Lord is in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord, profaning. Of killing. So we don't receive the Eucharist in the state of mortal sin. If we're conscious of mortal sin, we don't receive the Holy Eucharist. We go to confession first. We confess our sins to the Lord. We make ourselves as worthy as we can, and then we ask the Lord to give us the graces that are lacking in us because we're just creatures and He is God. And there will be much lacking, but he is more than happy to help the weak and the little. He's more than happy to reach down to us. In that, um, you know, the unworthy manner, receiving the Eucharistic communion can be an act of of sacrilege and self-condemnation if done in the state of serious sin. For Paul to sin against the body and blood in this way is to be liable for the Lord's violent death. OK, so we need to discern the body and blood of the Lord in the Eucharist. And if we have discerned that, we need to pray for the grace to believe that it's really him. It's not a symbol. It's not just bread of fellowship. It's not um, just pointing to Christ in heaven. It's not transignification. It's not just transfinalization. It's not consubstantiation. Jesus is not present in the bread and the wine That's very careless language to say Jesus is in the bread and the wine. No, he's not. He's present under the appearance of bread and wine. The bread and wine no longer exist. Only the accidents remain only the appearances of bread and wine remain it is truly the risen glorified ascended body blood soul and divinity of our lord and savior jesus christ that we receive in the holy eucharist and so yes we ask god for the grace to be free of all mortal sin and we go to confession on a frequent and regular basis not necessarily because we think we're committing mortal sins but because every sin even venial sin weakens the intellect and darkens weakens the intellect and darkens the will i think it darkens the intellect and weakens the will thank you my dyslexia is showing as I speak, um, it, it darkens the intellect and weakens the will and makes us more inclined to sin. So if we don't fight manfully against venial sin, if we don't resist it bravely with the grace of God, we'll find ourselves very easily slipping into mortal sin. And that's why we want to give up the anger and the resentments and the bitterness and the backbiting and the fighting and the infighting and the, the gossip and all these things that we all just do little things, you know, or, or even even the gluttony on holidays. You know, it's like, oh, well, it's a holiday. Eat, drink, and, and be merry. Well, Thomas More was at a um, king's banquet, King Henry the VIII's banquet one time. He'd been invited, and he was there, and there was a young man that he knew, and the young man was... Just having a great old time, eating too much, drinking too much. And he said, Thomas, Thomas, enjoy yourself. This is the king's banquet. And and Thomas said, We must always be prepared for death. We never know when it's coming. He said, Oh, death. I'll worry about that tomorrow. And Thomas was like, Well, I'm worried about it today. So I'm going to, I'll be more, I'll be modified. In, I'll, I'll be moderate in my eating and drinking, even at this king's banquet. I won't be eating just for the sake of, of it. Satify, gratifying my palate. I will exercise the discipline. And so um, about a month later, a friend, a mutual friend came to, Tom, to Thomas to tell him that this young man had died. And um, Thomas said, how did he die? And he said, you don't want to know, Thomas. And he said, no, no, I want to know. No, Thomas, you don't want to know. No, I want to know. No, 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 you don't want to know. And he said, yes, I do. Well, Thomas, his horse went over the side of the bridge and the last words out of his mouth were to curse God. We need to start today to change our life and orient ourselves toward God. Don't put it off till tomorrow. We don't know if tomorrow's going to come. There's no time like the present. Seize the day. Seize the moment. Live for Christ now. We might not have tomorrow. The precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ come down upon us all and wash us clean. And may we honor his body, blood, soul, and divinity really present in the most holy sacrament of the altar, the Holy Eucharist. And everyone, even non-Catholics, are welcome to come into the church and spend time with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, hidden in the Eucharist under the appearance of bread. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep us in your prayers and sacrifices. If you can make a donation, please make a donation. And uh, join us again next week on Bible with the Barbers and on Virgin Most Powerful Radio and let all your friends and family and everyone know that we're here!